All right, welcome back to another episode of Credo Catholic. If you're listening to this on a podcast, you can also watch this online, or at least I think you can, if all goes well with the video editing. <laughs> revolutionary. Then the revolutionary. will be able to watch it online. This is kind of a trial run, so we've never done a video episode before for Credo Catholic, but I'm trying to this time, and to help me pilot this, to be my guinea pig, brought on my good friend Mike Irison to talk to me about a bunch of things today. We're going to cover the easy stuff, Mike, so... Pipe smoking to start out with. Okay, yep. That's that's an easy warm-up yeah, softball can, for you. We can just, do that. I'm just going to lob it up for you. And then I think maybe political polarization. Okay. Conspiracy theories. Good. How to be a Catholic in contemporary America. Okay. Like I said, the easy stuff. Pretty, yeah, this, so, this should be pretty, about 10, 15 minutes. Max. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, nothing to it. So let's start with the pipe smoking, though, Mike. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think I mentioned this last time Mike was on the podcast with me, but Mike has been my pipe sensei. He, uh, I, I only recently started smoking a pipe. It was just last summer. Mm -hmm. And I had heard from somebody in the parish, because we are actually, we're sitting in our parish's studio. So mm -hmm. thank you to Holy Apostles Catholic Church. We're in the Blessed Carlo Acutis film studio. Yes. So thanks to Holy Apostles for letting us use the studio, borrow the equipment, et cetera. But someone in my parish told me Mike Iverson was a pipe smoker. And I thought, I need to talk to Mike about how... We, how, how he does that? How do, yeah. I, how do I get started with a pipe? I mean, <laughs> do I go on Amazon and buy a pipe? How do I know what kind of tobacco to get, et cetera? So I heard Mike was the guy, and indeed Mike was. Mike had me over to his house, and there you showed me your collection of about 100 different pipes, I think, more or yeah, less. And more than 50, probably less than 100. Okay, yeah. more than, I mean, a substantial like 80, number. Yeah. One for every week of the year and then some. Yeah, one for, one, per, one, day, one for every day of every quarter. Every day of yeah. every, perfect. <laughs> and so uh, so you showed me all that. You walked me through kind of what I, what I should look for mm -hmm. in a pipe. And then you have, I don't know, 50 different kinds of tobacco as well. Uh, so let me sample some of that. It was, it was great fun. And uh, it, like I said, my pipe sensei. So, Mike, talk to me about pipe smoking. First of all, yeah. why should we smoke a pipe? Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll answer that kind of in a narrative, uh, form. Oh, great. I, so I love story time. I started, I started smoking a pipe really, uh, when I was in seminary because I needed, I needed some, uh, some sort of contemplative, easily portable way to, to unwind and to think. Mm. Um, and pipe smoking, I think, I don't think there's a, that it's coincidental that these, these great minds of the, of the 20th century, like C.S. Sure. Lewis yeah, and yeah. J.R.R. Tolkien, um, G.K. Chesterton, they were pipe smokers mm -hmm. um, because when you smoke a pipe, it's kind of uh, it's it's this mindful, peaceful exercise where you, you've constantly got to be doing something. But even the very uh, like to get the best flavor out of the pipe tobacco, you actually um, you regulate your breathing. Um, so it's kind of this this uh, quasi Zen experience yeah, yeah. Um, where, you're, where you're regulating your breathing and you're focusing not on the, the smoking of the pipe, but it is something that you have to keep uh, maintaining. You have to fiddle with it. You have to, it's kind of, right. it's kind of like the equivalent of, uh, of fly fishing yeah. to me. Now I had never smoked a pipe, like I said, before you introduced it to me, mm -hmm. uh, but I had smoked a cigarette yeah. in college. I mean, yeah. I, I tried one cigarette and never again, <laughs> it was horrible, but this is very different from cigarette smoking. Absolutely. I mean, there's obviously the inhaling, not inhaling, but I just mean, even in the sort of the, the rhythm of how you do it yeah. with a cigarette, you take a big inhale, full mm -hmm. drag, mm -hmm. big exhale. And with pipe, it's it's more of a sort of a maintenance puff. And of right. course, there's no inhalation as well. Right. Exactly. So much more contemplative, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And and I would contend that uh, the, the best way to smoke a pipe is what's called breath smoking, where you're actually breathing through your nose while the pipe is in your mouth. And just the suction 
that naturally occurs while you're breathing through your nose draws a little bit of smoke in, just kind of a trickle, and you get the best uh, the best flavor from the tobacco. That is way. an advanced maneuver, though. That is an advanced I'm still maneuver. I'm working on my breath. Smoking. Well, <laughs> and to to your original point, I I would say if you want to start, if if it's something that uh, that you're you're thinking about, I mean, not like it's. It's not a health move, maybe not a New Year's resolution to sure. start smoking yeah. a pipe. But um, it actually has been it has been shown that pipe smoking, it, because it's such a great stress reducer, um, that the the health benefits may either may even outweigh, if not, uh, they they kind of negate the health detriments. Yeah. Because of that. Yeah, I mean, this is a question that comes up, I think, a lot with pipe smoking, right? And when I first started pipe smoking, and I don't do it a ton. I do it socially, mm-hmm. right? I, you, I primarily smoke with you, Mike. But uh, when I first started doing it, some people said, like, hey, you really should reconsider this hobby right. because, you know, X and X studies say yep. that there's a linkage between smoking and cancer. And that, that's certainly true. I mean, we can say a couple things, though. You don't inhale with the pipe, right? right? So you're not <clears throat> breathing all this smoke, all this carcinogenic material right. into your lungs, which is good. Right. Um, but two, I mean, most people find it relaxing. And so, uh, I mean, talk to anybody who knows anything about mental health and they'll say that like mindfulness and relaxation is really important. And if pipes help you do that, then that's, yeah. that's a, a plus in exactly. the, uh, in the pro side. Um, so, uh, so there's, it's, it's relaxing, it's relaxing. And there's also the fact that if you do it socially, you're around people, you're around friends right. and we're social animals as Aristotle would say. Absolutely. Uh, and, and we know as Catholics that we should be around each other too. So. Mike and I uh, have found it a great exercise just to get together and talk about theology or things mm-hmm. in the church, et cetera. And it's been a really good activity. Yeah, yeah. So where to go? Yeah. So How if, do you start it? So if you want to start, um, don't buy, don't just choose a, a random pipe off of uh, Amazon or eBay or whatever. Um, most of those actually, so pipes are, are typically made out of one of three materials. Decent pipes are made out of one of three materials. Either a corn cob, uh, which is actually- The classic. Yeah, yeah the, the classic <laughs> huck fin move. Um, Secondly, there's a, um, a substance called meerschaum, which is basically a type of, uh, almost like a type of, like, between limestone and chalk uh, that's found mainly in Turkey. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's like lightweight, right? Yeah, super absorbent, lightweight mineral. Um, and that shatters also, doesn't it? Isn't yeah, if you, do, if you drop it, it's, it's pretty fragile. Okay. So meerschaums are, they tend to be a little bit more expensive, but... They also, uh, when meerschaum is is soaked in, in water, they're easily carved. So a lot of times you get these really ornate carved uh, meerschaum pipes, but they tend to be expensive and they're not as practical as the third option, which is briar. Um, and briar is, uh, is actually the root ball of a Mediterranean heath uh, bush, almost like a small tree. And they found in the 1860s, I believe, that it was Super durable, very dense, still reasonably lightweight, and it doesn't burn. So it's kind of this ideal uh, medium for, and it's non-toxic, and it's, you good, know, which that, is always good. It's a solid thing. Um, so it's a, this ideal medium for yeah. smoking tobacco in. So you need a briar pipe. I, that would be my recommendation first. If you if you go to uh, a number of these different retailers on like Amazon, for example, they're not going to be briar pipes. Um, a lot of those are actually made in China, and there's Ooh. some there's some sort of non non undetermined plastoid material. So a non-flammable plastic, basically? Basically. Yeah. And then a lot of times they have a little um, a little metal bowl on the inside. So <laughs> they don't even look like a tobacco pipe, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So don't do that. Um, go to a, a reputable tobacconist or uh, there's a number of quality uh, online retailers as well. But get a briar pipe and then uh, tobacco choices. I mean, there's there's got to be 4,000 different, yeah. different varieties of tobacco, but they kind of fall into one of three different, uh, one of three or four different categories. 
And I would recommend getting something that is either uh, an English or an Oriental blend or a, a Burley blend uh, to begin with. Kind of the more than an aromatic, then more than an aromatic. Aromatic, they'll, they'll smell nice, but they'll burn a little bit less they pleasantly. They smell great, but the reason they smell great is because they're cased in a whole bunch of sugar water. Uh, and sugar water, as we know, burns really hot and kind of acrid. So, aromatics, while they may smell like uh, creme brulee or whatever, yeah. <laughs> they tend to be really oh, hot. the pumpkin pie tobacco. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. But they uh, they create a lot of steam and they actually burn your tongue. Okay. So it's a bad thing to, to begin learning with. So generally a mildly flavored bur burley or an English or, a, nice. or an oriental tobacco is the way to go. Yeah, so my one recommendation, I mean, the website smokingpipes.com, mm -hmm. I think, uh, they have a lot of good stuff. But my number one recommendation is to find a friend yeah, who knows absolutely. all about pipes. <laughs> and then you can ask all your questions. Yeah. I mean, before I bought my pipe, I sent it to Mike and I was like, hey, Mike, what's this one look like? Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, you know, it's it's a pretty good buy for these reasons. You might find that, you know, it gurgles a little bit, but and I was like, okay, well, yeah. much more info than I ever could have had. So, Well, and and that was that was my journey into pipe smoking yeah, as well, sure. because I tried it before and didn't find it enjoyable because I just wasn't doing it yeah. right. But there was a guy at a, at a tobacconist in, um, in Las Cruces, New Mexico, who just knew his pipe smoking. Okay. Uh, a guy named Lou, and nice. he he taught me kind of what to oh, look this for. The, guy, the shop owner? You guy, yeah, yeah, shop yeah, owner. You told me about him. Yeah, yeah. Just, he used in to go ball, hang out with him. Like, in, a, in, a, in a hotel, actually. Hotel, okay, it's this yeah. little uh, maybe 20 by 20 walk-in closet-sized tobacconist in yeah. a hotel in yeah. Las Cruces. Uh, but this guy's just a wealth of knowledge. So he, That's cool. It, I found it unenjoyable and unrelaxing, and then immediately once I started following his mm -hmm. advice, started finding it relaxing nice. and enjoyable. Yeah. So that was uh, 15 years ago or so. Your story about Briar makes me wonder, like how many people had to try all these bad different types of wood right. before they were like, ooh, that doesn't work for pipes. And yeah. That doesn't work for pipes. Yeah. There's this comedian who told a story. Not, it wasn't a story. He was just saying like, I wonder how people discovered cheese. <laughs> because like you have yolk, you have, you have milk, right? <laughs> and like milk goes bad and it's dangerous. Right. And then it gets worse and it's like yogurt. Mm -hmm. And then it gets really bad and by bad I just mean like expired long right. passage and it's cheese so yeah. Which, like how do you get to the point where like no we just kept eating it day after day eventually it was yogurt and then we kept going <laughs> and eventually it was cheese right like yeah. who discovers that That's, uh, yeah. The, yeah I'm Remarkable. sure the same thing happened with with the tobacco uh, just pipe. yeah the, the finally the guy who tried briar and was like guys I found it yeah, briar this is, is it. the stuff this is it pine is throw those pine Pine's pipes not out good. <laughs> throw those oak pipes out there are a few um a few fruit wood pipes that okay. are also that are also okay um, particularly pear wood. Pear wood? Pear wood. Like, yeah. the, like the pear tree? Like the pear tree, yeah. Oh, cool. So okay. it's non-toxic, it's edible. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. Non-toxic is solid. Non-toxic is we've established. far better than toxic, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, well, enough about pipe smoking. If you want to check it out, I mean, find a friend, you know, check out smokingpipes.com too. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are plenty of articles on there too. Absolutely, I mean, yeah. They have a, a daily blog, like a, a reader, that yeah. you can learn even rudimentarily how to smoke a pipe yeah, from, their, from their website. Not sponsored at all, we just like pipe smoking. But so. we... We would be open to it. Hey, yeah. Contact us. <laughs> uh, all right. So, Mike, you and I both had some conversations recently in which people have talked to us about how they're thinking more about what it means to be a Catholic mm -hmm. today specifically. Yeah. Right. So we yeah. understand what it means to be a Catholic, to follow the moral law, to be a faithful son or daughter of the church. But in our moment right now, and granted, this is not the same for everyone across the world, but in our moment right now, in America, we find ourselves in a very interesting situation. Right. In that we have what, what some have described, and I'm thinking of Rod Dreyer in this book that we both mm -hmm. read recently. Yeah. Some have described as a soft totalitarianism mm -hmm. that is seeking total conformity to a pretty radical ideology that is anti-Christian in many respects. Right. We have increasing political polarization 
across the board. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's not a one-sided problem. Uh, right. Both sides increasingly hate each other mm -hmm. and have no common ground with one another. And then maybe the third piece that I would say that's certainly related to those two is the power of narrative. And I've been thinking, especially over the last few months, it's really, I mean, throughout all of COVID really, about how powerful it is to control the levers of information mm -hmm. in a society. Absolutely. Um, which is exactly why any authoritarian state goes after those levers first and foremost, because mm -hmm. he who controls the information controls right. thought. Um, so we find ourselves in this sort of confluence of factors and they're all arriving in this really, this really grand moment. Yeah. Some people are really scared. I think the first thing we can say is you shouldn't be scared. Right? Absolutely. We know yeah. that Jesus Christ is king. Yeah. God has not left his throne, regardless <laughs> of the political situation, regardless of who's storming what public buildings, et cetera. God is still in control. Exactly. Ultimately. Exactly. So that's, that's not a good response. But I think it is good to be thoughtful about this and to think Absolutely. how can we be better Christians in this moment amidst all the challenges that I just outlined, amidst all the all the turmoil in these times that we find ourselves. Um, I also don't want to don't want this to come across as saying Biden won the election, therefore we find ourselves in this moment. Yeah, no. this is a this is a sort of pre not sort of this is a pre-Trump problem. Absolutely, this is not a Trump problem or a Biden problem. And cards on the table. I personally am glad that Trump lost the election because I, I think he's he's a buffoon and I think. Uh, he is not helpful for our civic discourse, et cetera. I also didn't vote for Biden. I've been upfront on this show before yeah. about how I voted third party, et cetera. But this is not a Trump lost, oh no situation, nor, this, right. nor is this a Biden won, oh no situation. This is us just looking at what's going on, realizing that everyone in this country hates everyone on the other side of the political aisle, mm -hmm. realizing that everyone in this country is glued to their smartphones and their devices and self-select their own means of information consumption. Uh, and, and that's a problem. And it's a real problem, I think, for Catholics. It presents problems for how we think about our engagement with the world, how we live out our faith. And maybe most importantly, it affects how we evangelize and think about engaging our neighbor with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we can just solve a few of these problems yeah. today, Mike. Yeah. Uh, simple stuff. But maybe start with start with a simple question for you. So I know you recently read this book, Live Not By Lies, mm -hmm. um, by Rod Dreyer, who is a former Catholic, now Orthodox. His thesis is that we are consuming... We're, we're, we've tethered ourselves so much to sort of corporate ideology through things like social media and our smartphones, just the technology that makes us comfortable every day. And, and we are becoming increasingly beholden to these overlords who demand total fealty to their ideology. So maybe as a starting point, what do you think of the book? Uh, and do you think the thesis holds up? Uh, y yeah, I, I do think the thesis holds up. And I did, I enjoyed the book. I honestly, um, <laughs> No offense to Mr. Dreyer, but could have been a little shorter. Um, but I really liked how he uh, how he, sh he tells the stories. He kind of puts in on all these multifaceted narratives of folks who lived through totalitarian regimes, particularly in the former Soviet uh, Soviet Union, and how they not only survived but thrived within that totalitarian regime. Um, so first off, he kind of he kind of tells us about how these people what these people saw, what these people experienced in their in their lives in this totalitarian regime, and then their warnings to us mm -hmm. in America with this uh, impending or already present but right. not fully realized totalitarian regime that's a soft totalitarian regime right. that we live in. Um, and then he basically tells us what to do about it. Um, so I, I think it was it's, it's a quality book. It's practical. It gives hope, I think, most importantly, that everything isn't just 
going to hell, yeah. um, literally. Uh, instead, there is hope. We we do have responsibility, though, within that and within sure. this yeah. system to live differently. And and as the as the title implies, to live not by lies. So if we're being fed uh, the the party line or the the socioeconomic reality that's being fabricated mm-hmm. by some huge corporation, right. for example. That's a lie, and we need to realize that, and then we need to act accordingly. So I, I did think that that was, that was really very good. Yeah, and let's talk a little bit more about the soft versus hard yeah. totalitarianism, because I, I do think that there are ways to sort of overreact to what's going on now, yeah. right? And so we, we were having a discussion the other night uh, in which we were talking about Emperor Nero mm-hmm. and how St. Paul is writing his letter to the Romans, his epistle to the Romans, and he's saying, submit to those who are in authority over you. And he's doing that at a time when Nero is, is right. the emperor. One of the most anti-Christian figures in all of history, so much so that people at the time thought he may be the antichrist talked about in the book of Revelation, right? Um, And so we've been here before, right? We've been in bad situations before where we've been in very anti-Christian societies. Um, So I don't think we need to have an overreactive panic to this moment. But, but I do think, and I, and I think to go along with that, we're also not in a hard totalitarian regime Correct. like the Soviet Union, where we're not allowed to go to mass, for example, right. uh, you know, just because we have no freedom of religion. We do have freedom of religion. I think there are encroachments on that, uh, certainly, and, and we should talk about those and be prepared to, to engage with those. Um, but the soft totalitarianism, totalitarianism piece is about how this is not an authoritarian decree from a, a centralized ruler, but rather a sort of um, collective movement that is primarily driven by uh, you know corporate interests, mm-hmm. in some cases political interests, mm-hmm. but it's primarily about ideology. Right. And it's soft because it's comfortable and it sort of slips in. So rather than someone coming in and saying, you will conform, period, dot, um, or you will be executed, right. a soft totalitarianism says if, you know, it basically says the price of admission here, the price of being uh, in our social media network, the price of shopping at our store, the price of working at our company mm-hmm. is that you conform to these principles. Right. And I think sometimes we can go a little bit too far even here and just think, you know, how can I, um, you know, how can I work at a company that that, that says this, et cetera? Um, and we sometimes overreact, I think, to things that we shouldn't overreact to. We can be a witness in a company that is not right. uh, that that is not uh, familiar with the gospel, and that's a really good thing, a really good mission field to, to see. But sometimes the metal does the rubber hits the road. <laughs> the, the expression I'm looking for, uh, and I'm thinking here of like sending your kid to school, yeah, and having your kid be indoctrinated with really dangerous gender ideology mm-hmm. when your kid is seven or eight years old, right? Right. Um, that's a dangerous thing. Absolutely. And so. There are, there are already moments where Catholics are having to make choices in America and to a large extent in the entire Western world um, that bring these questions to the forefront. Mm-hmm. So I guess, Mike, what I would ask you, I mean, you're someone who has kids who are older. Maybe you've been through some of these decisions yeah. already. You know, you, you've tackled them, you tackle them. So what would you have to say or what do you have to say to Catholics about sort of evaluating these, uh, these challenges, these decisions that you have to make in a soft totalitarianism? Yeah. Well, I, I would I would contend that um, we need to be in the world but not of the world, right? We if if we if we just remove ourselves, if we if we do truly the the Benedict option as Dreyer said right, in his first right. book, um, I, I think we lose a lot of our ability to be good witnesses and to as you as you alluded to be that light in uh, in a corporation that is anti-Christian right. or unchristian. Um, I think the same thing goes with our kids in school. Mm-hmm. If if uh, 
and we, Kate and I have some, have some great friends in, in uh, Western Washington that have, they have seven biological kids and then they adopted another six. Wow. Um, so 13 kids. Cheaper by the baker's dozen. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's why they stopped because they ran out of uh, colloquialisms to count them with. Right. Um, but they, they uh, sent all their kids through public school and they're all very devout, wow. committed Christian kids. Um, some of them are collegiate, uh, collegiate yeah. athletes. They're, they're just solid kids. And they actually wrote a book on why they did that. And it, and it was about this, it was this very question, but it was 15 years ago that they wrote the book. Um, and it, and it all really revolves around us as a family unit and us mm, as a, yeah. as a co- committed, caring Catholic uh, entity at, at our parish, at the parish level, at the family level, um, being this place of solace, being this place of refuge that our kids can come back to. And even in the midst of being, uh, indoctrinated or, or attempting the school or the administration is attempting to indoctrinate them, you come back home and you have these discussions around the dinner table right, right. of, no, no, that isn't right. And here's why, because it's in conflict or it's in direct opposition to God's law and to yeah. natural law and to things that are, I mean, quite frankly, just sensible, um, even in addition to our faith, right? right? So I think the key there is not uh, not the the physical location or the or the extrication from the system, mm-hmm. but rather that we have a stronger, uh, better, more reliable, faith filled, true system that we're that we're uh, constantly exhorting our kids to follow. Really. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of things there. I mean, I think the first thing is remember the family is the domestic church mm-hmm. and. Parents have a responsibility to nurture their children in the faith. Right. So even if you send your kids to school or you send your kids to to a catechesis for first communion, right? right? Or or a you know like parish school. Yeah, right? and we've talked about this before yeah. when you were on the podcast previously, right? Mike's the director of religious education. I guess I probably should have given the introduction for those who don't know you, but Mike's the director of evangelization and discipleship at our parish here, which is essentially a DRE function um, with some additional additional duties. And I think you, your, your, your scope is a little bit broader uh, on the whole sort of faith formation front. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a, a as the director of evangelist, evangelization and discipleship, Mike has seen, and we've talked about this before, a lot of people who want to just drop their kids off yeah. at, at school, at, uh, at well, certainly at school, but drop their kids off for faith formation on Sundays um, or think that the parent, it's the parish's job to prepare right. their kid for First Communion. Right. No, absolutely not. I mean, what, what the parish programs, correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding of the parish programs is that they are designed to make sure uh, that they're sort of a lowest common denominator, mm-hmm. right? So to, to catch those who don't have good family yeah. uh, formation mm-hmm. um, in place, et cetera. And then also to to train and equip and provide the necessary tools to the parents to be those. Well, that's what you try to institute here, yeah, right? Absolutely. So it's not just a program for parent for kids; it's also a program it's for both. parents, yeah. right? So if your kids are in class, the parents are in class, right? But that's why you've made that absolutely. that way, right? Because parents need to remember it's their job as well. So this yeah. family that you were just talking about in Washington, I think they they did a good job remembering that it's our job to educate. Right. The school is helping us, yes, right? Absolutely. Uh, and so I think that's that's maybe the the first one to think about there. And the second one, you also talked about this. There is no higher law than God's law. Absolutely And not. part of forming your children is to help them understand this and remember this mm-hmm. uh, and be able to call upon it. And I think one thing that I've seen already in my, in my parenting journey, which is a lot shorter than Mike's, my oldest is six, but one thing I've seen already is that we can never be afraid of answering hard questions or um, even asking hard questions, yeah. right? Well, and, and, bringing them up of our own accord, yeah, honestly, point. I think is the, yeah. I think more than just being reactionary or reactive, 
we need to we need to preempt yeah. with our kids. Because there's nothing more frustrating to me than reading yet another story about a prominent Christian, maybe a singer, songwriter, or something, yeah. who becomes a you know high functioning agnostic because they started asking questions that they could have asked a long time ago, or really someone should have asked for them and then taught them about, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so as Catholics, we need to take, especially as Catholic parents, as Catholic adults, we need to take responsibility for asking those questions ourselves yeah. so that when our kids ask them, we have answers, or so that we can help our kids think about them and anticipate them before they even get to the point where they would naturally occur. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there are really, really smart people who have been Catholics, and we have no reason to fear being exposed as liars and charlatans because something is not true. Right. Uh, and so I guarantee you, if there's a question that you're struggling with, someone else in the church has already struggled with it. And some father of the church has probably written a, a thesis on it, you know? Yeah, probably. Um, and so, so I think that's, that's a really important thing. Um, I don't want to go too long here, Mike, especially since this is a trial run of the, the studio here and everything. So let's shift gears a little bit. Yeah. We've also had some conversations with people about conspiracy theories. Yeah. And this has really come to the forefront in the past week and a half or so because of the capital right. occupation, invasion, riot, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. Um, and, you know, just to, to, to kind of wrap up the story in a 30-second narrative here, uh, the election is November 3rd, I think, yep. right? Uh, post-election, um, Trump motivates his base and says this was a fraudulent election, lots of irregularities at the state level, et cetera. Right. A chorus of lawsuits follow suit, none of which materialize into anything. Uh, the states all certify the election results, all the while Trump kind of keeps fomenting his base with these these stories and sort of um, narratives about the election being stolen and fraudulent. And that culminates in the, what was it called? The the Justice Day or the, whatever the march was. Yeah, I don't remember the official title. Whatever the march was on January 6th, right? That was the day that Congress was going to accept the the state certified results for the election, officially making uh, Biden the president elect. And uh, this uh, this, uh, march, went towards the Capitol. And unlike stopping at the Capitol steps or even, I think some some marches have gone into the Capitol and sort mm-hmm. of peacefully sit around with protests, this ended with uh, one Capitol police officer being killed by rioters, one rioter being shot by Capitol police as she was trying to enter a chamber, I don't know if it was the House chamber or what, sure. somewhere in the, in the Capitol. And subsequently died. Subsequently yeah. died, yes, exactly. Um, and I think three others died, it's unclear exactly how they did, but what was clear to me I mean, there were lots of, I had a lot of questions after this mm-hmm. event, but one of the things that was clear to me is that these people, as guilty as they are for doing what they did and and uh, trespassing in the Capitol and right. beating up a police officer, et cetera, and they should be punished to the full extent of the law. I was also reading up on some of these people and some of them were, were genuinely surprised that things worked out the way they did, mm-hmm. that the that the march failed. Uh, right. That you know Trump didn't come in and save them. That there was no that there was no larger scale kind of coup uh, effort underway, et cetera. And that underscored to me that these people, in many ways, are victims of false of narration, false right? Right, uh, where they believe something and they've so internally uh, consumed this that they really can't ha- they can't develop another way of of seeing reality. Mm-hmm. Now, narratives, of course, are not a bad thing because we as Catholics hold to a narrative, right? Yeah. It's, it's the meta-narrative of salvation history. It's the narrative, it is it, literally his story, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's the story of God's plan for mankind. So na- narratives certainly aren't the problem, but I've been thinking about how, who controls the narratives are the problem, and and what the narrative is, is certainly, mm-hmm. it can certainly be a problem. And I'm, I'm highlighting one side of the political uh, 
the, the political divide right now, the really the, I guess, extreme right. Yeah. Uh, but you'll find narratives across the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think certainly the fringe narratives contain the least elements of truth that are out there. But I've been thinking about this a lot because I've also seen Catholics, and we've talked about this before as well. I've seen Catholics uh, become ready consumers of conspiracy theories. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was going to pick your brain on why that is. I have a few ideas about why that might be, but why, why yeah. do you think that is? Um, well, I, so I, I think there's kind of two answers to that question. I think the first is the is the um, intentionally pure. Um, I, I think I think it's it's a it's a pseudo morality mm, yeah. um, where where folks legitimately want what's best for in this case for the nation or for their families yeah. or for what have you, sure. um, whatever the, the, the whatever they care about. They're then motivated to believe this this conspiracy theory because it bolsters and um, helps to uh, to rectify these wrongs that have been done. So, yeah. like the Stop the Steal movement, right. you know, people right. really wanted Trump to be reelected because they believe that he is uh, our only hope. He's kind of like Obi Wan Kenobi, yeah, exactly. right? Um, <laughs> help me, so, Obi Wan Kenobi. Help me, you're our only yeah. hope. Um, so they believe that without him, or if, if you know Biden gets elected, which yeah. he did, um, that there is no hope. So right. it's it's a it's a morally sound um, effort that they're going into believing these conspiracy theories. Right. But it's flawed in that the facts aren't there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's the best case scenario is that folks are are truly concerned. They really want what's best, and then they're they're buying into these narratives, these false narratives that are telling them that what is best really did happen. It's yeah. just been veiled. So I think that that that's kind of the first. Uh, the innocent sure. and the and the, the the rightly motivated, if not rightly executed, yeah. conspiracy theory belief. I think the other one is just asinine, um, where where folks are making up things like, um, you know, no no human being should uh, every human being should be a gluten free vegan, yeah, or yeah. the moon landing yeah, never yeah. happened, or yeah. the Earth is flat, there's or, alien stuff, or there's lizard yeah. people, uh-huh. yeah, that live under New Mexico that can actually control the world. I mean, you lived in New Mexico, you probably knew a few of those. I, the but I, I knew a guy who was all about the lizard really? people, and, oh, and, and actually was scared of the lizard people, wow. and drove I mean, around I, with, I, a, with I would a gun be scared strapped of lizard to people the, too. If I believe they were real, I'd be scared of them. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I mean, this guy, this guy was was strapped in his pickup truck because he was ready for the lizard people. It's like to, Mad to get Max it. Fury Road it was or something. Basically, like that, yeah. only in a, in a Dodge truck and wasn't tricked out. Um, but I think that is just people who have ill intent preying yeah. upon um, preying upon people's desires to have this secret knowledge. Yeah. I think it comes back to to gnosis, to, yeah, to yeah. like gnosticism. It's all this neo gnosticism where. Um, Knowledge is power, right. and the perception of knowledge, even if that knowledge is false, creates a false perception sure. of power. Yeah. And we all want that. We all want to be significant. So if I know something that you don't know, that gives me an edge yeah. over you. Right. So I think there's a lot of people with ill intent that are trying to lead people astray intentionally in order to gain power of yeah. their own. No, I like that. So I, I like your first point about moral purity. I hadn't thought as much about that. I was thinking more along the lines of the second point. Hmm. Um, and I think Catholics sometimes are particularly susceptible to this because um, – Christians in general, I think, are, are susceptible to, to gnosis. Uh, Absolutely. You know, to, to thinking this or, or to, to adhering to a Gnostic idea. And by right. Gnosticism uh, is still perpetu- I mean, still persistent today. There's a neo-Gnosticism that's rampant, I think, in the church uh, and in broader society, certainly. But the you know early on, the Gnostics held that there was some sort of hidden knowledge. And normally they would they would make some um, seriously erroneous claims about the nature of Christ, mm-hmm. and, and they would do so or the person of Christ, uh, person of Jesus Christ, and they would do so because 
uh, they were saying, we have this hidden knowledge that not all of you have. Right. So this has been a persistent problem, but I think your point about Gnosticism is really good because I think conspiracy theories can sometimes be really attractive to Catholics, to people of faith perhaps in general, because we already accept that we hold truths to be true that many others don't. Right. right. So there's already and there's already an implicit claim that we believe something that yeah. that, that they don't. Right. Yeah. We have a predisposition toward that. Right. And now, of course, that belief can lead us to a moral moral purity, mm-hmm. uh, which is wrong. Right. We're not better because we believe that, um, but it's certainly good that we recognize that we are saved by and through Jesus Christ. Um, so I think that's maybe the the first part, and then the second part is linked to your moral purity part. There's there's always a, a, a um, an impulse or a desire to refine and purify the church. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of well-intentioned Catholics, and you and I know some of them, right, who um, who really want to purify the church and have a very holy desire to do that, but they end up being led astray because they end up sort of grappling onto conspiracy theories that mm-hmm. probably don't sound so outlandish to, to them because we already accept things like the existence of angels, right? Um, you know, we accept that God, who created the entire universe, became man and inhabited flesh and, uh, and and lived among us and then died on the cross. And when he did so, he carried our sins to the grave with him. But then, by the way, three days later, he rose again, right? right. So, you know, if you're saying you already believe that, then believing that there's a you know deep state conspiracy uh, in the United States all of a sudden doesn't seem that outlandish, right? right. But I think the, the difference is, well, there's, there are many, many differences, I think. But one distinction between those two things, or one reason why Catholics really need to be careful, is that we often base our beliefs about conspiracy theories on this sort of Gnostic idea about humanity, right? So yeah. rather, rather than believing things about God that have been revealed to us in divine revelation, we believe things that are revealed to us on Twitter or on Parler or right. you know, social media or whatever the case is, or, or from our friends, right? And these things are, are never divine revelation. These things are are uh, things told to us by other humans about mm-hmm. this like secretive cabal of other humans who are doing this this right. uh, nefarious thing. Now, it's certainly true that humans are nefarious. And another thing that Catholics know is that every human is sinful. Right. And so there's a there's an element of us that needs to healthfully is that a word? Yeah. Healthily recognize that people do bad things, yeah. and there have been conspiracies. Of course, it's not the conspiracies don't exist. Uh, but we also need to recognize that God reigns sovereign and that God has instituted governments uh, over us um, to do things uh, and to to give us political order. And so there's a there's a tension that the, the Catholic, I think, has to hold Absolutely. between thinking that the government is out to to kill you or the lizard people are out to kill right. you. Right. And that the government is our savior. Right. Because, because those two things are diametrically opposed to each other, and the Catholic can believe neither, right? They can't right. believe they can't believe the first because they have to recognize, as St. Paul says, that God has instituted those in authority. And they can't believe the second because they have to believe, as all of Scripture and salvation history tells us, that mankind is sinful. Right. So how can we place our entire faith in a man-made institution? Mm-hmm. But but I think that tension is sort of where you are on that continuum. Is, is an important thing. Absolutely. And, and I, I would contend that that tension, uh, it's, it, we, being a Christian, being a faithful Catholic, really is living a life of, of being in tension between yeah. two extremes. Yeah, very right? true. Um, and I think we, we shift in, in the exact placement of where we are in that place of tension between those poles with current events and yeah. with, you know, with new uh, legitimate revelation of you know, election scandals or whatever sure, the case right. may be. But 
again, God has not left his throne. Yeah. And uh, to, to your point about human sinfulness uh, and just, we, you know, we, we, I, I would contend that we're all looking to follow God better. Um, that's ultimately our, that's our ultimate desire as Catholics is to follow God more. But the, the difficulty is, is when those sources, when those means that yeah. you trust, mind you, that you trust are leading you astray. Right. For sure. Um, and I've had, I've had conversations with, with deeply, deeply committed, deeply uh, devout Catholics, mm-hmm. um, using some sort of internet resource that they trust yeah. to prove that this, this or the, another conspiracy theory is, is true. Right. And then, um, if, if one posits some sort of, uh, contrary information, I've, I've literally had a guy say to me, well, you got that off the internet. <laughs> So that can't be that can't be valid. I'm like, well, wait a minute. You got yours yeah. off the internet too. It was just from somebody you trust, and right, now I don't right. have a trustworthy uh, source. But it's from the same, you know, greater cesspool yeah. of information. Um, and again, that I think the original intent is good there, but we become so polarized and polarizing yeah. ourselves against other Catholics, against yeah. other Christians, and against what is good is exactly what Satan wants us to do. It does nothing. It is absolutely nothing. Uh, There's nothing to, it has nothing to do with Jesus. Jesus's great prayer of unity is that love each other so that the world may know who you are. And father, as you and I are one, so may they be one, not uh, so may they be divisive and, and hate each other over election results. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I think on that point of unity, we have to remember that you can't have unity without truth, mm. right? I mean, you just you just uh, repeated part of Jesus' highest priestly prayer, love one another, yeah. uh, that you may be one, or uh, I'm praying that you may be one. Right. Um, and those those two ideas are very linked, right? Loving one another and remaining one in Christ are linked ideas right. because love is truth, right? Just like um, uh, Benedict XVI's Caritas and Veritate, mm-hmm. um, he elaborates on this scriptural idea very well in saying that you can't have love without truth. And love, in fact, uh, is truth, right? There's nothing truer than love. And you can't have unity without love. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can't have unity without truth. So I think that idea is really important. I also think Catholics sometimes tend to elevate certain aspects of, um, and this this goes, I think, to your moral purity idea. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to do with necessarily with the personal moral purity, but it has to do with a sort of a preconceived vision of how the world has to be, yeah. right? Yeah. The world has to be a place in which there are no abortion clinics, right? Mm-hmm. The world has to be a place in which uh, there is no divorce, right? Now, uh, a perfect world is a place where there are no abortion clinics and there is no divorce. Absolutely. But that is not the world that that God has allowed to be right now, right? And so I think sometimes we end up, we end up equating uh, these, these two ideas, right? We end up thinking that because the world is disordered, and we see that it is not yet heaven, mm-hmm. that there is this um, giant conspiracy afoot, and it's our job to undo it, right? And whoever whoever sort of promises to undo that conspiracy for us is gonna be, that's gonna be my guy, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a really dangerous idea um, for, a, for a whole host of reasons, right? But, but one of the foremost is that that kind of person is the kind of person who can get suckered into supporting somebody or some idea that they really have no business supporting in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's that's that's the definition of the Antichrist, right? right? This guy that we or this person, this entity that we put our hope in, who is not God. Yeah. Um, you know, regardless of 
whether you think that's a, an individual at some point in the future, or mm -hmm. it's an individual at some point in the past, or if it's an ideology, yeah, whatever the case might be. Several individuals, yeah. yeah. Have you read the Father Elijah series by I, Michael D. O'Brien? I haven't, no. Okay. Highly recommend, these are great books. Um, the second of them, so I think it's Sophia House, Father Elijah, and then Elijah in Jerusalem. And Michael D. O'Brien, if you're not familiar, or if listeners are not familiar, uh, a Canadian Catholic, fantastic writer. He writes, um, he writes very, um, I would say penetratingly. Like he, he is a, he's an avid student, avid student of theology, a faithful son of the church. And he writes, you know, the, the purpose of literature, right, is to help us see the world as it is or as how it should be. And I think that's a great way of describing Michael D. O'Brien's work. Mm -hmm. But his Elijah series is about this priest named Father Elijah, later becomes a bishop. And um, in the middle series, Father Elijah, Elijah is tasked with uh, basically um, fighting the Antichrist, not like in physical, you know, hand-to-hand -hand mortal combat, but but spiritually. Mm -hmm. And the Antichrist is this figure who is basically, he's a political candidate, and he is, actually I think he's beyond candidate, I think he's actually holding political office, but he's basically the head of um, the European Union, if the European Union were not just a sort of, um, economic block. So imagine like the, the United States of Europe almost, mm -hmm. and he becomes the head of that organization and is clearly moving towards being the head of the world, yeah. right? But the idea is so many people have followed this guy's meteoric rise and they have planted their flag alongside him or grabbed onto his coattails, whatever analogy you want to use, but they have done so. And despite the fact that he like says all the right things and he's just a total charmer, seems like he's just really out for the good of humanity and the good of the world, he is perversely anti-Christian because he's not placing God at the forefront. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another thing that we we fall into the trap of too sometimes is we end up wanting to grab the coattails of someone who is just, you know, the the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? right? And so yeah. because we share a common enemy in that ideology, we'll grab onto them and say, all right, let's, let's ride or die, right? We're going to mm -hmm. do this. And that's dangerous. I mean, to be Catholic is to be, in a sense, super political because we have to care about the world, but it's also in another sense to be apolitical because right. we have to have this detachment right. from the things of the world. It's what you were saying, be be in the world, but not of it, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to be simultaneously in and engaged. We also have to be uh, you know, removed to a, to a certain degree. Right. And remember that our kingdom is that of Jesus Christ who said, my kingdom is not of this world. Right, yeah. Um, and I, that brings me right back to Rod Dreher's book. Live not by lies. That's who we are as Christians. Is we are tasked to live not by lies yeah. and to live instead by the uh, the example, the witness, the priestly authority of Jesus Christ. Mm. Um, and you can't do that if you're giving over your allegiance and giving over uh, uh, some false sense of hope into a right. human. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it just it isn't compatible with who we are as as Catholics. Yeah. So. As a practical point to just sort of round out what, what you were just saying, Mike, I think I would exhort listeners or watchers, viewers, to not engage in, you know, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna go on Twitter, for example, right? And I, I get it, I have a Twitter account, right? I go on there and I digest news from there. But for every minute that you spend on Twitter, be spending a minute in prayer, yeah. be spending a minute at mass, be spending a minute saying the rosary, praying the Angelus. 6 a.m., 12 p.m., 6 p.m. It's a great spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, try to consciously choose to spend your time doing the things that are not of this world. And when you do pray for pray for the world, pray for our nation, pray for your own discernment and thinking through things and sifting through information that you are reading and seeing and consuming every day. But I think I think that's the that's the best thing, right? I mean, sometimes sometimes we ask these really complicated questions and we get really angsty, like the world is going to hell in a handbasket, what am I to do? Right. And the answer sometimes is right in front of us, right? And I think in this case, 
it is right in front of us. There are there are specific and practical nuanced answers, but at a, at a very base level, like we're Christians, right. we're Catholics, we need to be going to mass, we need to be receiving the sacraments, we need to be spending time in prayer every single day, mm-hmm. we need to be spreading the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, uh, I mean, that's our witness, right? That, And not, not only is that for us, mm-hmm. but that's for, as you said, that's for the whole world. That's for both the right. us and for the them. Yeah. Um, and pray for the them, whoever the, the them are right, to you. Exactly, yeah. Um, because we want them, ultimately, we don't want them to be destroyed. Um, that's not Christian, we want them to become us. Right. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Spiritual discipline and and spending time with the only thing that is absolutely guaranteed to be true, which is God and, and his church. Beautiful. Yeah, well said. Well, that's it for this episode of Creedal Catholic. Hopefully you enjoyed either the audio or the video uh, edition. If you have a question for Mike, please reach out to me. I'd be happy to pass it on to him or we can have a, a follow-on discussion yeah. and, and discuss any other more advanced or complex or just totally different questions that we get out of this. So if you'd like to hear us talk about something else, uh, I haven't talked to Mike about doing a recurring episode, but maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe he's up for it. I'd be, I'd be. It depends on if the price is right. Okay. Yeah. That sounds good. All right. Well, thanks so much for, for tuning in to another episode of Creedal Catholic. Uh, reach out to me, Zach, Z-A-C, at creedalcatholic.com. And until next time, God bless you. 